welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away, believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the chief priests, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. You may be seated. Thanks so much, Haley. Well, as we come to this story in John chapter 12, uh, it is the story that we celebrate at Palm Sunday. Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, where he is received by a welcoming crowd as they're coming an expected king. You know, all four gospel writers tell us this story of Jesus's triumphal entry. Um, and all four gospel writers tell it as really the climax of the tension of the gospels. It's the high point of the crowd's uh, enthusiasm for Jesus, the high point of their receiving him, believing that he is or may be the Messiah, the awaited king. And it's also the high point of the religious leaders of Israel's resistance to Jesus. It's the moment where the tension that's been building throughout the gospel accounts comes to a head. Will Jesus be received as a king? Or will he be rejected and murdered? Well, John, you know, each one of the Gospels uh, tells the same story, the same life from slightly different angles. In John, one of the perspectives that he gives us on the triumphal entry that I absolutely love is that John helps us to understand why. He helps us to understand why the emotions have reached such a fever pitch. And his reason that he gives us is because of Jesus's resurrection of Lazarus, the chapter before. If you looked at those first verses that we read today, it tells us, uh, John tells us that the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So uh, the crowds are, are drawn to Jesus because though he had done other uh, miraculous signs throughout the Gospel of John, it's the resurrection of a dead man that's given them a true uh, revelation of his power. If he could raise the dead, then this changes everything. If there's been a resurrection, then what else might Jesus do? And we're told also that it's the resurrection of Jesus, or the resurrection of Lazarus by Jesus, that also brings uh, the religious leaders to their most uh, passionate resistance to Jesus, largely because they also understand the significance of it. If someone has been raised from the dead, what else might happen? If there's been a resurrection, uh, then everything can change. You know, think about that. The resurrection of a dead man truly does change everything about how we think the world works. During these days that we're living in now, these unprecedented times uh, of living uh, in light of COVID-19. Well, even there, I use the word unprecedented. You also, you've probably used that word yourself or heard it uh, used to refer to this time. But these are unprecedented days. But truly, these days are only unprecedented if you think about them in terms of our own lifespan. We've never lived through anything like this. Not many of us, I don't think anybody on this call was alive during the Spanish flu of the, of the early 20th century, right? So for our lives, it's unprecedented, but historically, it's quite precedented. Historically, you've had the Spanish flu, you've had the measles, you've had these other outbreaks of disease that have taken uh, continents by storm. And so in our lives, in our experience, it is unprecedented. But in the, in the scope of world history, this is what happens. We live in a world that's marked by tragedy, by illness, by death. Right? That is, in so many ways, the ways of the world. It's the way that the world goes. But the way that the world doesn't go is the opposite direction. Right? The world goes from life towards death. We're used to that. But the world does not go from death towards life. Individual people do not go from death towards life. And so when Lazarus walked out of that tomb, when there was a resurrection, both those who cheered Jesus and loved him, as well as those who resisted and feared him, understood that this changed everything. That if someone rose from the dead, then the world was upside down, down was up, left was right. Who knew what was going on? And so uh, the resurrection of Lazarus provokes these two very different responses. The crowd welcomes him because if someone has been risen from the dead, then who knows what else might change. And the crowd was a group of people that very much wanted to see things change. They understood the hope and the power that might be there in Jesus with the power to change their circumstances, to change their lives. And so when they cry out, Hosanna, it's the cry, God, save us. Save this entire broken mess of a world. Save our political lives ruled over by Rome. Save our, save our physical lives. Save our spiritual lives. It was this holistic shout for saving power. And they welcomed it. But now, the religious leaders of Israel, they also understood that if someone had been risen from the dead, then everything could change. But that led them to want to oppose it. Because, you see, they were very, very invested in a fragile status quo that kept them in a position of power. The way that the, the bargain that the religious leaders of Israel had made was this. 
We'll give up uh, political power. We'll give up our kingdom to be ruled over by the Romans. But therefore, we will keep the moral, spiritual, and religious authority over the people of Israel. We'll be kind of a, a moral and religious police state making sure that everyone uh, acts the right way, does the right things, and keeping with the law of God as we understand it. And so, invested in this fragile status quo, invested in keeping their own power and their own, their own authority, when real power, real authority came on the scene, they were shaken by it. They didn't know what to do with it, and so they sought to oppose it, and even to kill Look at verse uh, 10. This is one of the more laughably ironic plans in all of the Bible. So they see uh, the crowd going to Jesus in verse 9, uh, not, not only to see him, but also to see the risen Lazarus. And so verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well as Jesus, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Do you get the, the sadness and the irony of this plan? Hey, I know what we'll do because of the problem stirred up by this guy who's been risen from the dead. We'll kill him again. We'll kill him and the one who rose him from the dead, and then we'll get beyond this problem. We'll meet this movement of resurrection life with a resistance of death. And yet, as we see uh, here, as the story plays out in the Gospel of John, Death cannot stand against this flood of life that is coming into the world through Jesus. Lazarus was just the beginning. This movement of life coming through the, into the world through Jesus cannot be stopped by human clinging to power, human uh, violence or injustice. It'll sweep over it and overwhelm it. There'll be moments in the story where it looks like death is won. Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his death. But life wins. And that's what we celebrate in Holy Week and at Easter. And so one crowd uh, resists him. The religious leaders plot against his life. And the other crowd welcomes him, shouting out Hosanna, receiving him as their king. And yet, even in their reception of him as king, all is not well. John uh, points out to us that there's something not quite right about even the crowd's enthusiastic welcome of Jesus. And we see it here um, if you look at their song in verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, this is a, a fairly classic quotation of Psalm 118. What had become one of the great songs that Israel sang, looking forward to their Messiah. Hosanna, God save, blessed is the one who comes in God's name. So they quote Psalm 18, but then they add a verse to it. They add a line that is nowhere in the Psalms. It's nowhere in Psalm 118. Even the king of Israel. Now, we ought to know that we are in trouble when we begin adding verses to the Bible, right? We ought to know that we're in trouble when we think that God ought to have said something that he did not say. And so the crowd adds, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, which shows that their hopes for who Jesus might be was a narrowly political hope. 
that they were viewing Jesus as a national savior for Israel. In their hearts and minds, patriotism and religion had become so enmeshed with one another that they couldn't imagine a king coming with any other kind of agenda, anything other than taking up their agenda to become their ruler and overthrowing the Romans. Friends, uh, if we receive Jesus as king, and think that his power can be used for our agenda, we are sorely mistaken. Jesus' power as king uh, requires that we let go of our agendas and that his agenda becomes our agenda, right? That his priorities become our priorities. And certainly we still have tendencies to try to enlist Jesus into our own causes, right? You might, uh, I mean, we, in America, I think we very often Uh, enmesh our ideas of patriotism and national pride with our ideas about religion, right? If you think that God bless America is a verse in the Bible, uh, it's not in there, right? God's blessing flows to all of the nations of the world. We receive our blessings. And yes, we have been blessed in many incredible ways, but we receive them from the God of the world, the God of, of all of the nations of the world. So we can't sub our own national agenda for his agenda. And we can't sub our own personal agendas for his agenda. Right? I think that there is a peculiar type of belief that's flourished, uh, I think, in contemporary America, which is the belief that if I believe in Jesus, then good things will happen in my life. That if I place my faith in Jesus, then my career will go the way that I want My health will go the way that I want. My marriage and my family will go the way that I want. Oftentimes, this uh, group of beliefs is called the prosperity gospel. It's the belief that if I believe in Jesus, my life will prosper. And friends, I do believe that that's one of the reasons why American Christians are uniquely poorly conditioned to live out our faith in a time of suffering. One of the reasons why a pandemic like the one that we're in hits us with a particular hardness is because we haven't learned to work out our faith in a place of suffering, in a place of unmet longing, in a place of want. Over and over, the Bible has these resources to equip us to do that, right? Most of the people who followed Jesus through most of history have done so from a position of want, of need, of even persecution. But one of the gifts that God may be giving us during this time of hardship and of suffering is learning that his agenda is not our agenda, right? That we learn who he is as we experience him taking care of us when we suffer, when we struggle, when we don't have all of the resources within our grasp. That's where we learn to live by real faith, vibrant faith, because Jesus's agenda is not our agenda. His agenda isn't the agenda of the crowds. He didn't come uh, simply to be crowned and enthroned as a king. Look at what he goes on to say uh, beyond our reading this morning. Uh, If you keep going into uh, chapter 12, let me find my reference here, verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
see what Jesus is saying. He does come as a king. He does come to bring life to many. But he doesn't come <clears throat> as a victorious king. He comes as a suffering king. He comes as a king to die, to lay down his life like a grain of wheat falling to the earth so that it can become fruitful and give life to many. This is the good news. That Jesus' death isn't just a tragic accident of history, but that it is in his dying that the good news flourishes for all of us. That we become those who share in his resurrection life, not just life here in this world for a bit of power, but life that cannot be ended in this world. Life that goes on and on and on forever. That's the good news. That's the good news that we celebrate at Palm Sunday. It's the good news that makes even the darkness of Good Friday worthy of being called good. And it's the good news that we celebrate at Easter. That Jesus comes as a king, not a worldly king, but an eternal, everlasting, global king. Remember what he said to Martha before he even raised Lazarus from the dead. I am the way and the truth and the life. Everyone who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Friends, if you believe that, it changes everything. The crowds were right and the religious leaders were right to know that if there is a resurrection, then everything changes. The entire world changes. And that changes everything for us. It helps us to lay down our agendas, right? If Jesus is the resurrected king, then what he wants is the only thing that matters. His agenda, his passions, his priorities are the only thing that matters in my life. I can let go of getting my own way and embrace his way because all that matters is getting in on his resurrection life. And friends, believing in resurrection has to change the way that we suffer and struggle. It has to change the way that we enter into these strange days of pandemic that we live in. One of my theological uh, and pastoral heroes, a man named Leslie Newbegin, who's a missionary to India, uh, who then came back to the United Kingdom uh, as a missionary pastor there. And he was once asked in the 1970s whether or not he was an optimist or a pessimist. And he said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Right, I'm not an optimist. Right? An optimist just believes that everything in the world is going up and up and getting better and better. Right? And I'm, I'm not naive enough to believe that things are just going to keep getting better. And I'm not a pessimist. I'm not one of those people that, that lives in despair thinking the world's going to get worse and worse. Right? We've seen in the ways that we deal with this disease, the, the optimists and the pessimists. Right? The optimist voices that say, let's just get back to work. Let's keep going as though nothing's wrong. When can we get out of this? And the pessimists who say, no, 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 have you seen the new report? We're all going to get it. We're all going to die. Doom and gloom. And I'm not, a, I'm not an epidemi epidemiologist. I can't even pronounce it. Right? I, I don't know. I don't know to be an optimist or a pessimist. But what I do know is this. Jesus is risen from the dead. Which means we don't have to hang our hopes on a shallow optimism. We don't have to be buried in a pessimistic despair. But we know that Jesus lives, and that we by faith live with him and in him, and that whatever happens in our lives, he is Lord, 
and he is risen, and we will rise in him to new life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us uh, to live in these trying times by faith. Lord, help us to offer you our whole lives uh, as a sacrifice of love and faithfulness. Lord, during these days of trial and hardship, we pray, Lord, that you would be chipping away our self-reliance, chipping away our ambitions, helping us more and more to find our life hidden with God in Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would fill our lives with your spirit and your presence and your meaning and your purpose. Lord, you are our king. Your resurrection changes absolutely everything about us. You are worthy of all of our praise and honor. You are worthy of our whole lives. Help us, Lord, to live and to offer them to you freely. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.